What do people from all over the world do to get out of their own damn way? Tune in on June 2nd to find out. Hi, it's Creelan, host of the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast. To celebrate the one-year anniversary of my podcast, I'll be hosting a special 50th episode where I'll share what I've learned over the last year by interviewing guests from around the world. Tune into this special anniversary episode on June 2nd at creelan.com slash podcast. That's K-R-Y-L-Y-N dot com slash podcast. Or find us on iTunes. Welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast, hosted by Creelan Peters, the fear whisperer of Creelan.com. Listen in as Creelan interviews powerful people who have tamed their fears, embraced their greatness, and gotten out of their own damn way. And now, Creelan Peters. Welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast. I'm your host, Creelan Peters, the fear whisperer. And today, I welcome Philip Dingra to the show. And before I bring him on, I just want to remind everyone that I do have a special episode coming up next week for for my one-year anniversary. I can't believe it's been a year already that I've been doing this podcast. And I'm going to just share with you all these wonderful themes and things and tips I've learned from all the guests that I've had on the show up until now. So be sure to stay tuned for next week. That's June 2nd, where I will be sharing a whole bunch of great get-out-of-your-own-damn-way tips. But let's get back to today's special guest, Philip. And before I bring him on, I just want to share a little bit more about him. Philip is an app developer from Austin, Texas. He created the Creative Whack Pack for iOS, which he collaborated on with creativity legend Roger Vanek. He also writes books, and his latest one, Dear Hannah, is a cautionary tale about self-improvement. In it, he recounts 70 self-help books and methods He used over 16 years to change who he is, and the results may surprise you. So welcome, Philip, to the show. Hi. uh, Thank you, Carolyn, Um, and congrats on your one-year anniversary. Oh, yes, thank you. I'm so excited. Like, time flies so much, and I've just had such a blast um, interviewing people from all over, um, not only the country in the U.S. here, but also all over the world. So I'm just, like, so excited, and and I'm also excited to have you on. I know... We haven't had nearly as many male guests, but I love having um, men on the show because, you know, everyone needs to learn how to get out of their own jail way for yeah. darn sure. So um, so I'm so excited to, to hear more about your story, and, and I love that you're a, a tech geek because I kind of um, am a little bit myself. Not as much as you are, though, because I'm not an app developer, but... I was really excited to hear more about your story. So just share with us whatever you want about how you've learned to get out of your own damn way. Okay, well, um, the biggest way I've, I've, I've gotten out of my own damn way, I think, uh, and, and by the way, I love the philosophy. love mm. the philosophy of getting out of your own damn way because I feel like, you know, and that's what my book, Dear Hannah, is about. It's about... Um, uh, the problems I saw reading hundreds of self-help books. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 95% of them are all about getting more in your way. <laughs> They're all about new methods, new hacks, tips, tricks, techniques. And they all seem to start, or not all of them, but most of them seem to start with the assumption that um, more is better, more mm-hmm. methods, more more things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... My book actually, 
I say it's a cautionary tale about self-improvement, but it has a happy ending because I start to discover books on meditation. And I feel like meditation is the best way to get out of your damn way. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, it might sound like it's another program. It's another 30 minutes in your day that you have to schedule like exercise or dieting or whatever. But what I find in all of my meditation sessions, nearly all of them, that when that bell rings at the end of that 30 minutes, less becomes more. Mm-hmm. You feel like you feel like nine out of ten things that you thought you had to do or you thought were part of who you were before you entered that meditation sen- uh, session, nine out of ten of those things just disappear. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to that birthday party Tuesday night. You don't need to um, double check on your some random appointment. You don't need to get your hair cut at this one time specifically. There's so many specific things that we box ourselves in, especially with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like meditation sort of relaxes that muscle and just sort of lets you glide over things. And... Um, Specifically, um, and I posted this in the Facebook group for your community, and it should be appearing on the blog post that will accompany this Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, Very clear case in point, um, uh, in March I was dealing with, um, I'm not sure if you've heard this term before, but FOMO. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a, you know, there's a lot of catchphrases going around like YOLO and FOMO and whatever, so it can get a little overwhelming, but FOMO means the fear of missing out. And I, mm-hmm. I like this one because it, it captures, I think is an increasing affliction for us, especially when we're getting all these notifications and Facebook events. Everyone's trying to, I mean, the whole system, the whole technology is trying to get everyone invited to everything mm-hmm. to, to go out because the more activity you do, the more, um, it's better for these social networks. And especially in Austin, when the South by Southwest Festival comes around, I get a lot of FOMO. Everyone wants to throw an event or visit town or do something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like meditation really helped me get out of my own damn way by not going to things and and helped me discover what my friend calls the joy of missing out, JOMO. <laughs> I love and, that when uh, you posted that in there. I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and and just, the, it just you know, it's, it's amazing how just like one word can sort of trigger a thought um, and lead to change. Uh, when I think of the joy of missing out, well, that's kind of counterintuitive. What is What could be joyous about missing out? And you start to think, well, I could start reading novels that I've been trying, you know, that I've set aside for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can... You know, I could start eating better or more slowly. Um, I could, you know, um, I know that I, I have these markers that whenever I do them uh, make me think, wow, you know what, that's, that, if anything, is proof that I'm living my life correctly. And one of those is uh, lying on the floor on my yoga mat uh, with giant headphones and listening to some new album from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um I know that's like a, a relic from the 60s and 70s when people had vinyl. They would get into the LP. They would throw it on there. And they didn't have any other distractions 
and we've kind of lost that. But whenever I find myself having the time, having the relaxation, having the JOMO to be able to lie down and do that activity, then that usually tells me I'm I'm living my life correctly. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's how I got out of my own damn way recently. That's great. And I, you know, I love that you're bringing this up because I, you know, as a former psychotherapist and now a coach, I, my whole, not my whole, but most of my adult life has really been about helping other people heal. And, um, so I've been in that realm of self-improvement and I've been part of that movement. Um, but I've had that same inclination to, um, I wrote an article a few years ago called the the downside of self-improvement because when we are constantly looking for um, improvement, there's also that inherent underlying assumption that there's something wrong with us. And right. I think that's a very dangerous construct to give a lot of attention to because then it continues to perpetuate this need for seeking things outside of us to help us improve, get better, um, and, and all of that. So it's, it's kind of a fine balance that those of us mm-hmm. in this industry have to navigate, not only for ourselves but with our clients, is how do we help people understand that there is room for improvement, but it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because we mm-hmm. just might want something different out of life. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I think when... I was in the throes of self-improvement. The the thought that keeps coming up in my head that kept me in self-improvement was that was was the scary thought that I would never have an answer to is what if there's something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What if there's something wrong? And when you when it's it's like saying what if there's weapons of mass destruction? You know, well that can justify unlimited anything. You know, right. it you know if what if something's wrong with me? So does that mean I need to spend a week sitting down on my futon staring at the the popcorn ceiling analyzing my life. I mean, that, that happened to me when I was uh, like 25 or so. I remember a week went by where at the end of the week, I'm like, I didn't do anything ex- this week except think about problems and mm-hmm. fill the gaps with marathoning TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I think what I've learned through um, what uh, I think the beginning of the change for me happened when I started getting into cognitive therapy um, about six years ago now. And then ultimately with meditation, I I kind of don't need to do cognitive therapy anymore. But Mm -hmm. I sort of noticed what I call this 90-10 rule where uh, nine times out of ten, and it's a rule that I sort of, um, extracted from um, Sonia Lubr- Lu- uh, I don't quite know how to pronounce her last name Lub- Lubromisky Sonia Lubromisky's book The How of Happiness she also was sort of grasping at a 90-10 rule but she didn't quite spell it out and it's that 90% of meditation and cognitive therapy 90% of the time I just had to change my attitude of the time, there was a kernel of something that I had to materially change in my life, whether it was quitting a job or making some difficult decision or evaluating 
something actually wrong in my life. But nine times out of ten, it was I was just getting in my own damn way with my own negative thinking. And so that was how I answered the whole what if something's wrong with me um, thing. It's like, well, there's a 90% chance that whatever you're angsting about right now is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't hurt to put off those thought sessions for the next day or whatever or to go for a walk or to get busy doing something else. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I was specifically trained in that, that type of therapy as well. And so that's, and I continue that in my coaching work is really helping people look at their thought patterns and, mm-hmm. um, and use different language and challenge their own beliefs and things like that. And it sounds like, you know, that's been helpful for you too. And one of the things that I came across as well, um, is mindfulness meditation. And so I got mm-hmm. trained in that. And that is something, and I talk, my audience knows that, you know, I talk a lot about the importance of conscious breathing and bringing awareness into our body um, as a way to quiet those thoughts because it's the thoughts that really are the destructive things that get us um, in our own damn way. And and if we can learn how to to change those, it's, uh, it's quite powerful. And it doesn't, people think it's so, difficult and it's really I think what you had mentioned it's really about making a decision mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah that's it's really it's really really powerful what I found so I did cognitive therapy for on myself self-administered cognitive therapy for about a year and within six months there was just like pillar after pillar of negative self image would just mm-hmm. come crumbling down and and it was it was a massive relief but and 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 six months is sort of a common uh, amount of time that i I hear about when I read about uh, cognitive therapy um, as far as like a good amount of time to try it mm-hmm. and but what I discovered six months after that six months was well. I'm sort of done uh, eliminating the paper tigers in my life, the sort of crazy thoughts. Like, I, you know, the, the one that I keep coming back to is was uh, was this thought that somehow I had this belief that I'm a faux pas machine, that I just and – I, and I would have what I would call a post-social anxiety mm-hmm. where anytime I would go to a party, there was always going to be some – after effect where when I come home from the party, I spend like at minimum an hour at maximum a day, just rehashing the events of the party, finding some flaw in something I said or worrying about how I was presenting myself. And it all came down to um, this belief that somehow I was just, I was just a guy that just made faux pas all the time. And then using cognitive therapy, I actually sat down and tried to count, in the last year, what faux pas I actually made. And then I rated them from a scale of one to 10. Was this really a faux pas? And out of all of that, I kind of came to realize like, wait, in the past year, maybe I had one faux pas. And was it even really a faux pas? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as soon as that uh, negative belief disappeared, I felt socially light. The post-social anxiety disappeared. 
um, I felt more confident and freer in my speaking. And, and, I, and, I, and I kind of regretted not having done that earlier. I'm like, I spent all this time just like worrying about myself. Mm-hmm. But um, stuff like that happened pretty often in the first couple months of cognitive therapy. But then why I went to meditation is that I realized that uh, while cognitive therapy could clear big, long-standing hang-ups of the sort of um, stuff that would you know require most people years of psychoanalytical work, while that stuff was gone, this, the machinery of my mind was still... I, w- I was still an overthinker. Mm-hmm. Like, no amount of cognitive therapy could stop me from, you know, slow down the speed of my mind. Um, it could mm-hmm. make it less irrational or less negative, but it couldn't stop me from obsessing or, yeah, overthinking on issues. And so that's that's when I started going to meditation because I was like, well, okay, so I don't have any crazy hang-ups or issues anymore, but I still spend way too much time thinking. And meditation within, yeah, within a couple of weeks, I saw changes. Um, yeah, and that, that's wonderful. I, I hear that so many times from the people I work with that, you know, a lot of us, we kind of know the tools. It's just there's that missing piece of, and like you said, it's, you know, we can know what to think. We can know how to think, and yet there's still this, what I call the thought spiral of just like our our thoughts kind of spinning and then going out of control into a deep, dark place. And it happens very quickly. So it's really important to find a way to figure out how to either slow that spiral down or divert it or or something because we need to get out of our head. So many of us, I think, in our society are conditioned to think, think, think. And when you talk about cognitive therapy, cognitive is thoughts. That's that's what that means. So, um, you know, people who are dealing with thoughts, um, that's what we're dealing with is thoughts. So we, it's kind of like um, we continually uh give credence to that and we continually give attention to our thoughts. So how do we get away from that? Well, if you're doing an intervention that really relies on focusing on your thoughts, that's what you're doing. <laughs> it's kind of perpetually there. And and it is important to find that that way of of how to get away from that. Because and I and I like what you said too is that it that the cognitive piece can be super helpful to get you from that place of those irrational thoughts into a place of more rational thoughts, but it doesn't, like you said, necessarily address the speed at which they are floating around in your head. Yeah. Um, I I often come back to uh, something I read in The Power of Now, Um, Eckhart Tolle, in the the beginning of the book, and and probably the beginning of the book is the most powerful part of that, um, that book is he says, we're not trying to get you to stop thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, you know, you should, you know, thinking can be useful, but my question to you, as Eckhart's question to the reader is, is thinking something that controls you or do you control your thinking? Is it something that you can pull out like a tool when you need it and then file it away when you don't, or is it something that's they're constantly ruling your life. And 
that it that sort of that sort of that formulation you know helps um, address the, the sort of black and white negativity or excuses I would make about meditation. It's like, well, I need to think. What if mm-hmm. something's wrong with me? I have to think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this his, his the way he re- restated it, sort of like that 90-10 thing, and it's like, you know, you still should have some thinking, but it should come with certain qualifications. It It should be, you should manage your thinking, not the other way around. Right, right. And it's it takes practice and it takes time um i would say actually i don't want to say time i, I think it is it, it takes practice and mm-hmm. and decisions um but i think um and i was just talking to someone about this yesterday uh, my accountability partner we were talking about how um oh my gosh i just lost it oh i hate when that happens philip <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was something about making decisions, and and now okay. I can't remember. If I, if I remember, I'll no. let you know. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an accountability partner? I do. I do have an accountability partner. We um, really help each other and support each other and hold mirrors up for each other uh, okay. to help us um, get to where we want to go. And you do a thing where... I've, I've I've heard of this technique where you make a, a a pact with someone that if you don't keep up your end of a bargain, whether it's exercising every day or something, that you have to buy them a gift as a fee or punishment. <laughs> we we haven't done that, um, but uh, yes, I have heard of people doing that. <laughs> and um, when I was uh, a therapist, I would have people set up little jars of. Um, They'd put money in it every time they said certain words, <laughs> and they weren't swear words. I think they were worse uh-huh. than swear words. There were things like can't and should, uh, and try. <laughs> right. So those kind of words. You know, I'm fascinated too. I mean, I I've read a ton of self help books. I know so many people out there have read so many, but you say mm-hmm. you read. 70 like oh my gosh and I'm like looking at my bookcase going do I do I have that many have I even read as many as I have I know I haven't read all the ones on my bookshelf so um tell us more about that you know journey and that decision to kind of um look through all of those books and Mm -hmm. and what that was like for you so the book is called um the book that I wrote is called Dear Hannah and Hannah is when I was in the eighth grade, she was also in the eighth grade. Uh, she was a classmate of mine. She gave me my first self-help book. She gave me Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. And that book blew my mind. Um, I read it in the summer before my freshman year of high school. And I remember walking to summer school just, you know, in the San Diego sun, just highlighting passage after passage because it was speaking to me about, um, well, the, the, the philosophy, uh, Dale Carnegie's philosophy is active listening. But for me, I saw this as a way for changing the way I socialize. Mm-hmm. And they say that the worst thing that can happen to an early poker player is to win in the beginning because that then creates this thirst for, or, or this thirst and expectation that every hand you get is a hot hand. Mm-hmm. And so while 
within the first couple months of my freshman year, I saw immediate changes after having read that book. I think I, by luck, I happened to have read one of the best self-help books out there. I read, I read the 10%. Um, mm-hmm. The other books I read afterwards, I kept searching for that same high. And, and my book sort of recounts the Sisyphusian struggle with that. Uh, every, every letter to Hannah, because the book is composed of 82 letters to Hannah over 16 years, as I grow, as she grows. Mm-hmm. And they all, nearly all the letters began with, Dear Hannah, I just read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or 48 Laws of Power or the Five Love Languages, and it's changing my life. I noticed this change, I noticed that change. And now that I'm older, I was able to put postscripts at the end of these letters where I, I described to sometimes comedic effect, well, two weeks after I wrote this letter, I abandoned the method, or two weeks later... Um, things actually got worse and I ended up embarrassing myself because I was, you know, I, I, I was too hyped up on Tony Robbins thinking that I was a ball of fire mm-hmm. incarnate or something. And so, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, I've, I've read at least 70 self-help books. Um, and I'm, and I haven't stopped actually, but with meditation and, and, and something, uh, an idea I keep running, uh, turning back to is that meditation is almost like a is is almost like a condom for self-improvement it's like it can pro- <laughs> it can protect you from a lot of the abuses I'll, I'll read some self-help book like right now i'm reading the life-changing magic of tidying up uh-huh. and and as i read the self-help book um i sort of go through the same cycles that I talk about in my book where I'm excited. I think I'm everything's different now. I, I want to start sharing about it. I think that's one of the most annoying parts is people who, who get overzealous about self-help, myself included. They they can't within those first couple of weeks they start spreading the book like a virus, you know, while it's hot, you know. And by the time they've shared it, you know, they might already be off of it. They, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but meditation helps me like calm down with self-improvement and think, step back and think, okay, maybe this is just changing one aspect of my life, not everything. Right, right. Yeah, no, I love, I love that, the, the condom <laughs> thing. I think that's a great way for us to, to look at it. And that, and I love how that kind of all started with a friend giving you a book and then mm-hmm. you were kind of like reading these books and sharing this with her. Does she know about the book that you wrote? Yes. Um, so, so it's so Hannah is loosely based, on, or not, you know, it's, it's loosely based on a real person named Charlotte, um, who is my same age, and we did, we actually went to high school and college together, um, and originally the book was going to be called Dear Charlotte, but then I started creating this imaginary story for Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I changed the name and she knows about it. And, um, and it's funny when I called her out of the, or I messaged her out of the blue after gosh, four or five years of having not spoken with her, um, because we're, we're, we're not as close in real life as the letters in the book make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I reached out to her after five years, it, it kind of blew both our minds because she was still reading self-help books. She was mm-hmm. still into it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and she and she actually gave me a self-help book recommendation right on the spot. <laughs> um, she's like, well, actually, have you re- you know you, you mentioned cognitive therapy? Have you tried uh, reading this book? And anyway, and, 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 and it was a great book. It, it was a it was a mind over mood, um, yeah. which which I uh, helped me in in more formally applying cognitive therapy to myself. So yeah, it, and that that was that was really really strange that she just had another book recommendation, and it was a good one too. Uh, just waiting for me. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's that's really great. And you know, and I understand that you said that sometimes if you have that success right away, that it can be a little bit mm-hmm. detrimental. But I also think that it can um, help us realize that this might be a path worth pursuing too. And it mm-hmm. it, it sounds to me like um, that's true for you because it, it led you along, you know, a journey that's started then and has lasted up until now (laughs) with you discovering what's working, what's not working. It led you to meditation, which it sounds like Mm -hmm. has been the best thing for you. And then also led you to write this book, which I'm sure I'm just by talking to you and um, looking at uh, some of the promos that you've sent me for the book, it sounds like it's also helping a lot of other people as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, The, you know, it's it's still just getting off the ground, but uh, one of the greatest joys is getting an email from someone saying they read a cover to cover in like one night or one sitting, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's sort of I, th- I think it's comments or emails like those that that makes me want to keep writing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, it is because it's you know when you i know as a writer myself you know when you're writing something it you, you can only imagine how it's going to touch other people's lives but when they start to contact you it's like oh my gosh <laughs> so it's such a wonderful feeling so tell us how we can uh get in touch with you or find this book that you wrote so the best way to find the book is on Amazon just type in dear hannah um i think there's uh, some other dear hannah book on tapestry but mine mine will be obvious because it's uh it's dear Hannah's seventy methods I used and abused to change who I am. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can add me on Twitter. My username is Philip K D. That's uh Philip with one L and K is in Kilo, D is in Delta. Or you can visit my website, philipkd.com. Wonderful. Well thank you so much, Philip, for being a part of the podcast. Thank you, Creelan. Yes, and thank you all for listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for next week's 50th episode, one-year anniversary, where I'm going to be sharing all the things I've learned from all the guests up until now on the show. And also stay tuned after that for more powerful interviews by powerful people who've learned to get out of their own damn way. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast with Creelan Peters, the Fear Whisperer. Join us next time for more inspirational stories and leave a review on iTunes. You can also find us at creelan.com slash podcast. That's K-R-Y-L-Y-N dot com slash podcast. And get even more great tips on how to get out of your own damn way by taking Creelan's free quiz at creelan.com slash quiz. That's K-R-Y-L-Y-N dot com slash quiz. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.